to our Lord the song, Who You Say I Am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, his free I'm a child of God, yes I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me, his grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Through the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. standing with that truth upon our hearts and our minds, I'd like to read Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us the pride of Jacob, whom he loved, Selah. God has gone up with a shout. 
the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Amen. And Dennis Dobb, would you lead us in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in gladness and heart that we're here, Lord, to sing you praise, and Lord, lift our hands before you and shout for joy. And even in this time of joy, we also have times of sorrow. You know, when we have sinned and grieved you, and you still love us. And your grace still abounds with us when you forgive us. And Lord, we have illness among us. Uh, it's part of the world we live in. Yet we do not lose heart. Because you cause us to not fear what this world has to offer. But to give joy in your word. In your promise that you will sustain us. Lord, uh, we ask that you would heal our hearts that you would heal our land. Lord, and we again give thanks for Jesus Christ through his blood and sacrifice on the cross, Lord, that we may stand before you righteous. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And as we remain standing, our catechism question today is question 34. Now we'll read it. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, through Christ alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word? And let's say the answer together. Yes, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit, so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God, so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits, and so that by our godly behavior, Others may be one to Christ. And let's read the short answer together. Yes, so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God, and so that by our godly behavior, others may be one to Christ. And the scripture comes from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, and I will read that. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. And you may either remain standing for our song service or you may sit as you are led by the Spirit. So let's continue on. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame, in love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. treasure of heaven crucified. Worthy is the
treasure of heaven crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the treasure of heaven crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living. such boundless grace. The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings called Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Hallelujah. 
said amen amen last song mighty to save there is no other
Let's go to Lord in prayers, Mary Beat. My dear Heavenly Father, it is such an incredible privilege to come before your song and to be able to sing your glory, your praise, remembering of your kindness and your generosity, your forgiveness, your provision of all things that we need. 
for the hope that you give, to, for the reality of your sovereignty, for the looking forward to the eternity with you, and just to be able to be together with your bride, with my brothers and sisters here in Christ, to sing to you and say, thank you, praise you, Heavenly Father. You are worthy of more than I could ever dream or with my many words that I could even come up with. So I thank you for this season in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The light is green. Green means go. Now to get it back on the pocket. I told Josh I hate this thing. <laughs> anyway, it was wonderful to uh, to hear you sing, and it just brought me. Uh, I had to sit down and enjoy uh, the beauty of the words that you were singing and the melody that was coming from your heart. So thank you for preparing me for this time of sharing with you what the Lord has laid on my heart. Over the past several weeks, a um, couple of weeks, we've looked at a variety of scripture. We've looked at Romans 3, Romans 5. We've looked at Galatians. And today we're going to look at 1 Peter. Just small portions of each of those. Impossible to try to cover all of them, even in a series of messages, I think. I've spent the majority of my time up here focused on the concept, the truth of justification. I've wanted, it has been really my heart's desire that we come away from these Sundays knowing with certainty the beauty and the majesty and the magnificence of justification. It is foundational and it is fundamental. It is, in fact, the gospel. We are justified by Christ alone through faith alone. It is humbling as you consider the magnitude of that. We have to get this truth right or we get all of the rest of the gospel wrong. We have to get justification right. So, yeah, one more time. I'm going to review for you very briefly before we move into sanctification. But I want to review for you three of the most important things that we've covered about justification First, 
Justification is a judicial act. The supreme lawgiver and judge, God the Father, declares you and declares me to be free from the debt that we owe. Amen. Secondly, it is a judicial act that takes place at a point in time but has eternal effects. Once done, it is done. There is no court of appeal, nor is there an appellate judge. Once declared justified, you are justified forever. That ought to get amens. It is the thing that I stand on. It is the only thing that gets me through a day, particularly with all that is happening in our world and even among our congregation. The thing that I cling to is that I am justified by Christ alone through faith alone. And the third thing, it is a judicial act. Are you getting a theme here? The thing I want you to understand is you did nothing, can do nothing, are nothing apart from the justification that has happened because a righteous judge has accepted a substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me. It is as though we were standing in the supreme court of the entire universe before the supreme judge who judges all men rightly. Why can he do that? Because he alone is the lawgiver. No question about whether the law means this or that. Does this word mean this? And they'd spend months and months and months trying to discern what was the intent of the, of the writer. None of that. Because there's only one lawgiver and one judge. And he knows it perfectly. And we're all measured by the same measuring rod. The law of God. It is irreversible. It is done by God to us, for us, because of the blood of Christ. Okay. So, hopefully you got that part. Right? A judicial act. If you don't remember anything else, remember those words. And then you can fill in the rest of the blank as you think about that court. So now on to uh, sanctification. I really titled these messages Justification, Sanctification, Sanctification, Finished and Unfinished Work. Justification is finished. Sanctification goes on. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. I only wish I had time. To read the whole epistle, but I don't. Um, so we're going to focus on 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to only read to you the first 12 verses. Before I do that, though, I want to give you just a little bit of background on 1 Peter, uh, because I think it help, is helpful as we read it to keep these things in mind. 1 Peter was written by Peter from Rome. At the time that he wrote it, Nero was emperor. And three years 
maybe four, after this epistle was written, Peter was martyred by Nero in Rome. I think that's important as you remember where he's writing from and to whom he's writing. He's writing to all of the churches that are dispersed throughout basically most of the known world to believers. But this is another interesting piece of this, and sometimes you miss this. I know I missed it. This letter flows very fluidly between two things. It flows between the truth of the riches that we have in Christ to the responsibilities we shoulder in this world. And he goes back and forth, hitting these themes. The riches we have in Christ and the responsibility that we have. That's why First Peter is a great place to go and look at justification and sanctification. But there's another thing. And, and this, Peter uses the imperative, which in the Greek is a verb of command. He uses the imperative more than most any other author in a single book. An average of three times, or an average of one time in every three verses, you find an imperative verb. This is not a book of suggestions. It is a book of commandment. These are things we are expected and commanded to do. It's not a like to, want to, it's a must to. And I think that's important. Now let me read 1 through 12. So, you always have to look for why the so is there, right? Therefore, why is the therefore, therefore, so, why is the so there? Just look up at the next phrase. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. There is so much in this brief 12 verses for our sanctification. I really have struggled all week long on what to concentrate on, what to focus on. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things about preaching is trying to pare down your study into digestible portions. So in order to help me to whittle things down, I asked myself the question, what are the two or three most important truths about sanctification that we need to know? So I've chosen four. I limited myself to four because, um, like Morton Blackwell, I don't know if any of you know him, he's a politician or a, a pundit, um, but he says this, and I think it's really good. The mind can absorb no more than the seat can endure. So I'm cognizant of your seat this morning and your needing to be able to listen long enough. Key points. Sanctification takes place over time and requires two things. It requires remembering, and it requires action. Let me flesh those out. Look at verse 9. The first thing I think we must do is remember who we are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are a chosen race. Race is kind of a dirty word in our society, but here it means so much more than what we think of today. We have a common ancestry. We are children of God. It has nothing to do with the language we speak or the color of our skin or our cultural upbringing any of those things, it all has to do with common ancestry. We are children of God. Yeah. Chosen. Chosen. Not naturally born. We are adopted into his family. But we are his children, all of us. born again, but we are also a royal priesthood. There's a lot there, and I, and I can't unpack it all, but just focus on this truth. A royal priesthood has a single purpose, and that is to serve their master. A royal priesthood helps others to worship that master. That's their service 
And that is not what I am or Dan is or any of the elders are. That is what you are as a child of God. You are a royal. That is not a common. You are a royal priesthood. You serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty One. That's your priesthood. You really need to let that sink in and grab hold of the truth that you serve as a priest before the throne of the judge of the universe because of the grace of the judge of the universe given to you. It overwhelms me. But we are also a holy nation. We are called, separated out from the world, unique, but not alone. We are a community. A nation is never made up of one. You have maybe an individual, <laughs> but you do not have a nation. A holy nation is the community of believers together. You cannot be a holy nation and be a soloist. And then we are God's possession. Is there anybody else that you'd rather have own you? 1 Corinthians 19, 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That was a decision made by the purchaser because he wanted you. He wanted me. You are God's people. And then the next piece is, you've received mercy. We're back to justification again. Peter goes this way again and again, telling us these truths. You have received mercy. And then he tells us something that's very important for us as we begin to understand this idea of sanctification. He says, you are sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. You don't belong here. This is not your home. You are a stranger in a foreign country. Do you think of yourself that way? With all the things that come at you from a daily basis, from all the things that come at me in a daily basis, how often do I stop and say, wait a minute, newscaster, internet pundit, whoever it might be, I don't belong to this world. I'm looking in at a world that's broken, and I am sojourning here, but I am not comfortable. I am not at home. Where is my home? Peter tells us he's called us out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. Not just light, but marvelous light. The light that gives you pause to wonder. I don't have you ever, Mary and I were in North Carolina, uh, no, South Carolina, um, 
in the fall. And we decided to get up really early and walk out to the beach before, the, before it was light and watch the sun rise over the Atlantic. It was spectacular. Truly spectacular. And that's the kind of thing I think of here. It is this rising of the sun within our hearts that is marvelous and causes us to bow in awe at a God who would take notice of us. We have been called out of this world into his marvelous light where there is no more night. Sojourners and exiles, keep that in your mind as we move forward. But there's a second thing that we must remember, and that is that the power or power to abstain and power to do comes from the power that was given and imparted. It is not power that comes from within you, except when you realize the Spirit of God is within you. The Spirit of God dwells in us. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Ephesians 1.13-14 It is the Spirit of God. And the verse says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of something that's coming in. But the Spirit is also a seal, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The seal that's in mind there is um, in, a, in a legal sense. A document has a seal stamped on it, and it mustn't be broken. If the seal is broken, um, it should only be broken by the one who sealed it or to whom that document is given. And so this seal is put upon us by God. We are his workmanship. We are sealed with his spirit. And then it's also the source, 2 Timothy 1.14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The power for us to act in this life comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not from trying really hard. All trying really hard does is cause us to forget justification. And we begin to rely again upon the things we're doing for our salvation instead of doing the things out of gratitude for our salvation. I know that seems like it's splitting hairs, but let me tell you, I don't know of any truth more important. Nor do I know of any truth that has gotten the Christian church in more trouble over the centuries than forgetting this, this you read through the New Testament. Please, just take the epistles. Read from, well, if Romans is too difficult for you, don't start there. Start in 1 Corinthians. 
and read all the rest of the epistle. But honest to Pete, not, I didn't mean that about you. Um, honest to goodness, you must read Romans. You must digest Romans. But all the rest of the New Testament, it is amazing when you read it that you see how much of it is devoted to the apostles clarifying these truths and repeating them over and over and over again. It is critical. So, if the power to do comes from the Spirit given and indwelling, what are those things that we should be doing? What are we to do in light of who we are? Verse 9, the first thing we're told, a people for his own possession that you may declare or proclaim. Proclaim what? The excellencies or the praises of him who called you. Our first responsibility and our first item on our to-do list as people who are saved by the grace of God is to proclaim his excellencies. That's a great word, excellencies. And I pondered it a bit. What are those excellencies? Well, I need about four and a half hours just to begin to introduce it. So remembering your seats, I'm thinking I have a couple of things to say about that. The first is, the first excellencies that Peter tells us is that we are called out of darkness into marvelous light. We are taken out of one place and we are placed in another. That is an excellency of God. He has accomplished that. And for that alone, he is worthy of praise. I'm just going to refer you to some passages of Scripture that have been very important in my own life as I've meditated on this idea of the excellencies of God. I want to refer you to Isaiah 6, 8, 9, 53, 46, 49. Read Isaiah. You want to know the excellencies of God? Isaiah does a magnificent job of describing those excellencies. New Testament passages, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is just fabulous and tremendous. It, it, I remember um, when we were growing up, in case you didn't know, Mary and I have known each other since we were in sixth grade. Um, and she, of course, was smarter than me. She fell in love with me right then. Um, it took me a little while. Um, <laughs> I've always been a little slower. But nonetheless, that's off topic. Um, I remember we had what, called, what we called an all-city choir, and it was uh, the churches in the, the local vicinity who all the youth got together, and we were led by a woman, and she taught us a lot about singing and, and gave us opportunities to do that. But I remember that the day of this passage, I remember it like it was yesterday. Kind of surprised me. Um, 
the first time I read Ephesians 2 and really began to grasp all that God had done for me was at one of those practices. And I just broke down weeping like a little idiot. And I know everybody was thinking, what is wrong with him? I didn't care. I grasped for the first time the height, the depth, the breadth of his love for me. Certainly not all of it, but it was the first time I really saw it. So I, I commend to you, you want to know the excellencies of Christ? You want to know the excellencies of God? Go to Ephesians 2 and read it over and over and over again. And then I have one other passage for you, and that's John 17. This is the high priestly prayer of Christ, is how we refer to it. Do you want to know the excellencies of God? Read what Christ has to say. It is a marvelous place. Okay, proclaim. Our second responsibility, or our second to-do on our list of to-dos, is to abstain. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and aliens to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You want to know why life seems so turbulent? Because we're allowing the passions of the flesh to wage war against our soul. That's a whole series of sermons in and of itself, but I want us to look back at verse 1 of chapter 2. And Peter gives us a brief list of some of these. So put all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Put them away. Real briefly. Malice. Malice is a desire to hurt someone, either with words or physically. Have you ever spoken a word that you knew would hurt and you meant it to hurt? Deceit. Deceit is a desire to gain some advantage or to preserve a position by concocting a plan based upon a lie. Deceit, hypocrisy, <laughs> a desire to be known as somebody I'm not. Desire to look better, be considered better than anybody else, when in fact, I'm only hiding. Envy. Envy is a desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another, coupled with resentment that they have it and you don't. So it's not just wanting it, it's being resentful for not having it and they have it. Slander. This is a slippery slope. Slander is really a desire for revenge or for self-enhancement. It's often driven by a, a deep desire to deflect attention from our own failings. If I can make you look bad, really bad, then I look really good. 
or so I think. The worse the light we can shed on someone else, we think, the better the light on us, or at least the greater our ability to hide. So slander really, it's interesting that Peter chooses these, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. John summarizes these passions even further. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But the word of God stands forever. Beautiful summary of those things that we must abstain from. And those categories, you could flesh them out over weeks. I suggest you read the New Testament focused on... Last week I said, read Galatians three times. Some of you actually told me you did it. Thank you. You made me feel as though I didn't waste my time. If I just got you to read God's word, I accomplished something with all those words. This week I want you to read Galatians and 1 Peter. And read 1 Peter two or three times. to Get the full sense of what Peter is talking about. And again, I, I suggest strongly that you block out of your mind the chapter divisions. Um, in in First Peter, I think the chapter divisions really play havoc with what Peter is saying. But we have them because we need reference points. But there are places where it actually breaks up a whole sentence or a paragraph in the middle of it. So read it, but don't let yourself pause at those chapter divisions at least. Failure to abstain stains our proclamation. Failure to abstain stains our proclamation. And then the third thing, after we proclaim and um, abstain, we need to maintain. And that's 1 Peter 2.12. Keep, that's a command. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct honorable. Where are we to keep that conduct honorable? Among the Gentiles. Remember, the way the New Testament writers mostly use the word Gentile is to describe everyone outside the body of Christ. So it's, it's Jews that are outside the body of Christ. It's uh, Romans who are outside the body of Christ. It's Britons who are outside, I don't know, who are else there? Spaniards, I don't know. Anyway, anyone outside the body of Christ is referred to as a Gentile. So where are we to do it? Everywhere we are in the world. Everywhere. We are to make or maintain our conduct as honorable. How? How do we keep our conduct honorable? Good deeds. 
1 Peter 1.22. Love one another earnestly from the heart. You want to bring the truth of the gospel to a world that is in darkness? Light your proclamation with love for one another. We need love for one another. If there's anything the last three years have taught me, is that we need love for one another. Genuine love for one another. For a further discussion on good deeds, I, I again I say go to Ephesians four and and five and go to first Peter two through four nineteen. There's a lot there to talk to you about good deeds and what they look like and why they are so important. But love summarizes them all. Love. Why are we to do it? An interesting thing Peter says here. He says, when you do it, so that when you are slandered. He doesn't say if. Why are we so surprised when the world doesn't love us? Christ said, in this world you will have tribulation. Here, the word tells us that we will be slandered. And what's our response to that slander? Good deeds. That is so counterintuitive. When somebody slanders me, my first response is to get them back hard and furious. Okay, none of you ever experience any of that. But that is our response, isn't it? Peter says our response should be good deeds. So we do it because we're going to be slandered. And... Because we're going to be slandered, the way to put them to shame is 1 Peter 3, 16 to 17. 1 Peter 3, 16 to 17. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And we do it because we're going to be slandered, but we also do it so that those who slander will be forced to give glory to God. That's what it's all about, giving glory to God. Good deeds will prove that their slander is false. And it will cause them. That's what it says. I lost my. So that when they speak against you as evil do doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God's glory is always foremost. All right, so we come full, full circle. We're really back to the idea of justification once again, being the foundation. 
I want to leave you with hope because I know this can seem a bit overwhelming. And so the best place for that, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. Maybe not the best place, but one place I like to go. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I want to close with a couple of quotes and a poem. The first quote comes to you via Lydia Collins. She shared this with my wife earlier in the week, who then shared it with me. It is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a very prolific writer, pastor, and pastor of pastors in the um, last century. That sounds so funny. I always think of 1800s. No, it was 1900. Um, and he said this about justification ju- and, and sanctification. Justification is an act of God the Father. Sanctification is essentially the work of God the Holy Spirit. Justification takes place outside of us, as in a tribunal. Sanctification takes place within us, in our inner life. Justification removes the guilt of sin. Sanctification removes the pollution of sin. And renews within us that image of God. Justification is a once-for-all act, not a process, but a declaration. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a continual process. I love that quote. Second quote is from a man I know that at least a couple of you really enjoy, Oswald Chambers. It comes from his little devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, and it's called Justification by Faith. The one marvelous secret of holy life lies not in imitating Jesus, but in letting the perfections of Jesus manifest themselves in my mortal flesh. It's not trying to imitate Jesus. It's letting Christ live through you through his spirit within you. It is his wonderful life that is imparted to me in sanctification and imparted by faith as a sovereign gift of God's grace. Remember Romans 3. Here's the question Oswald asks. Am I willing for God to make sanctification as real in me as it is in his word. 
am I willing to let God make sanctification as real in me as it is in his word? And the last, I have a, a, a poem, and I have two versions of it. It's just a few lines. Um, not really certain who the author is. Some say it was John Bunyan, who was the uh, author of Pilgrim's Progress. Um, others say it was a Ralph Erkstein, who was a Scottish preacher. Both of them lived in the 18th century. They were both pastors, preachers, and teachers. So nobody really knows, but there are two versions, and it, these are quoted a lot. And I think when you hear, you're going to understand why. So first, the first version. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. It bids us fly. Are you flying? Are you flying or are you just making it by? There are days when I'm just making it by. And those are the days that I forget. The gospel is meant to give me the ability to live. The second version is, I think, maybe even better. It says, a rigid matter was the law. Demanding brick, denying straw. But when the gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. It is my earnest prayer that we all learn to fly on the twin wings of justification and sanctification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if any of this is to be true in our lives, it is you and you alone who must accomplish it. The power within us comes from your spirit. Lord God, make us cognizant. Give us that undeniable assurance that the justification that was accomplished in your court is ours because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. You are the one who has done that. You have given us the faith to believe it. You alone are God and worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Lord God, out of gratitude in our hearts for all that you have accomplished, let us, Lord God, by the power of your spirit working within us, abstain, proclaim, and maintain. And may we mount up with wings like eagles and fly. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this. Let's stand and let's uh, segue back to our very first song.
very appropriate who you say I am. Are we of great worth? Amen. But Satan desires to tell us we are of no value. But the Spirit says, no, we are of tremendous worth. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I At last he has ransomed me, his grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me, who the sun sets free, who is free. I'm a child of God, yes I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes I am. I am chosen, not forsaken.
go in peace and enjoy each other's fellowship on the foyer. Let's give ourselves about 15 minutes. And again, members, let's uh, come back in and we'll have our business meeting.